0: We are on a mission to help lawyers and law firm owners maximize wealth and achieve financial independence. Welcome to the Lawyer Millionaire with Darren Wirtz from Words Financial Services. In this podcast, we will help you build wealth, minimize your taxes, and plan for retirement with money management strategies designed for the legal profession. Join us in this journey where we help you manage your money so you can make the most of your future. start feeling confident in knowing you are well prepared for retirement and on track to financial independence. Now on to the show.
1: Are you a law firm owner curious about what it takes to build and lead a successful practice? Today, we'll be speaking with a successful law firm owner with over three decades of experience who has built a successful practice from the ground up, creating a multi-state enterprise, and who will share his valuable insights and strategies on how to thrive in this competitive industry. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, and welcome to today's episode of The Lawyer Millionaire. Today, I'm thrilled to be having a conversation with James Crawford, founder and owner of Crawford Law. Jim has built a successful law firm that serves clients in Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Virginia, and he's also the author of several books. Welcome to the show, Jim.
2: Barron, how are you? Nice to see you.
1: Oh, I am doing great. I got my workout in this morning. I'm excited, ready to go, and I've got some great questions for you today. Uh, why don't we start with uh, a little bit of your background and tell us what drew you to the practice of law and uh, what you enjoy most about being a, an attorney and also a law firm owner?
2: Well, you know, Darren, I grew up in, uh, in Baltimore City and I've uh, been doing this for about 32 years. I think I saw some really, really inspirational lawyers as a kid. Some people to come to mind, people may realize or remember, Peter Angelos, Pat Darty, people like that. Who were some of the best trial lawyers in, in the country? So I got to see that as a kid. My father was a lawyer and he was a great litigator. So I was kind of around it and I saw the old time law firms and the old law, you know, the old law office philosophy. And so I think that motivated me a lot to do what I wanted to do and, and to start you know, practicing law. Well, we share that in
1: common. My dad was a financial advisor. (laughs) So the family business wore off on me too, I guess. But unlike you, I kind of went a different route initially, went into teaching for a little while, was uh, taught eighth and ninth grade science, five years. Uh, But I understand you went straight into private practice. Was that joining your dad's firm or was that kind of launching your own thing?
2: No, I did my own thing. Jim was kind of waning down as far as his practice at that point in time. And uh, I'd always been involved in politics as a kid. My family was always involved in politics. I was a kid, you know, eight years old going door to door, handing out pamphlets for city council races, state Senate races, u.s senate races and so i did that and i was involved in politics elected and so when i got out of law school i was fortunate enough to have a really good community base so i instead of going to a a big firm or aspiring to do that i just opened up my own shop and here we are but it, it was a lot of ups and downs and a lot of things in between but a lot of success
1: now if you were to do it all over again. Would you do it that way? Would you go and start your own firm straight out of law school?
2: You know, that's a loaded question because, (laughs) you know, we, I deal with a lot of law students coming out of of law schools and I see the thought process and the philosophy and the practice of law has changed. The the whole thought process about what a lawyer does and what a lawyer doesn't do in the community and society. The answer is yes, I would do it again. No question, but I wish I had some of the knowledge that I have now then, and that's the old story, I guess, but sure, I'd do it again. Uh, I love the journey, and I love the thought process, and the old adage about practicing law, it's true. It's a practice, and and you keep growing and growing and growing. The biggest aspect, I think, Darren, for me is or was the business side of things, growing that and understanding that and inner mingling it with how to practice law what's important what isn't important how do you balance that with you representing your client doing the best you can you know i grew up at a time and as i said i saw some of the lawyers that were fantastic litigators and you know going in that courtroom going before a jury going before a judge was everything i mean you gave everything you had to and for the client and now all of a sudden the thought process, well, money has to come into it, or, you know, other financial aspects have to come into it. It's for many, many in the legal profession, it's antithetical, they don't go together, but they do in reality. And that's something uh, that I've been on a journey for a long time. And, and I try to share that with people at the firm here and other firms as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that again, you know, because I started my own thing. And like you you just kind of went into it and i had learned a lot of lessons along the way but right you know i would do it the same way all over again definitely i, I echo that a lot so now you started as you know by yourself did the, the clients just come to you what was that like for you starting out on your
2: own did the, well you just, I, yeah yeah I, that's I remember i remember it well for you i had a i already had a family i had a, had a little girl a couple years old i went to night school and, you know, I, I worked my way through, I was an insurance adjuster and didn't take off any time for the bar. You just do what you had to do and study the night and weekends. So when I got the word at five o'clock in the morning, and by the way, I see these kids now, you know, at law school, they get it online. We had to go to the post office to get our letter as to whether or not we were going to, whether or not we passed the bar and, you know, just the old adage, if it's thick or if it's thin, that would have you. I went to a post office off of Liberty Road in Baltimore, Maryland. And I think it was five o'clock in the morning and it was closed, obviously. But I went in the back and a couple of mail people there thought I was going to rob them or something. I said, No, I'm just looking for a letter. And <laughs> lo and behold, they found it for me. And I was happy walking out of there. But, you know, the kids coming out of law school and the thought process now is totally different. And I would absolutely do it again. It's the thrill in many ways it's a privilege it's not always fun it's not always a happy experience believe me it's not but you know if you would have asked me 20 years ago do i enjoy what i'm doing the answer is yes because i can't wait to get out of bed to do what i'm doing every day that's that's a fact and unfortunately a lot of lawyers can't say that it's Mm -hmm. a tough tough business and it's something that has to be a learned process
1: yeah, it, it can be, and you find a lot of that is is finding success, a lot, I yeah. think, and you've been quite successful in building your practice. So tell us a little bit about where you are today, years and years ago, starting out in your own, but what does uh, Crawford Law look like today?
2: Well, we're on a mission in many ways, just like a lot of other lawyers, but you know, the first mission we have is that you know, we're here to practice law. I mean, it's a noble profession. I was taught by a lot of lawyers that it's, as I said before, it's a privilege to do what we do to help people. But it's also takes a little piece of you emotionally and otherwise, and it's why it's very important, I think, to teach lawyers how to deal with that. Right now, we have uh, we have grown our, our Baltimore office to about 85 people. 30 plus lawyers. We do primarily civil litigation, family law, criminal law. And we have, we do a bunch of other services to the immigration, you know, the personal injury workers comp, all that stuff. But we focus primarily on business and family law, civil litigation, criminal law. So we've taken it upon ourselves to create a lot of different procedures and things that we think, and I think help the client and help the profession something I call the perfect client life cycle. And it's not any kind of you know Einstein theory. It really goes back to taking care of the client, but not just taking care of the client as far as the case is concerned. It's regarding the financial aspect as well. You know, not everyone can afford to put down tens of thousands of dollars on a family law case or a civil case or some other matter. And we've come up with methodologies that people can start off with a a very nominal, reasonable fee. And the, the reality is that if you do it the right way, and you do it the proper way, the fee gets paid, sometimes more than what you anticipated in the first place, and the clients are happy. So we're growing that here in Baltimore, but we've also expanded to other states. We are in Pennsylvania. We're in D.C., soon open up Virginia. And, you know, people ask, well, why are you doing that? What's for what? And there's a lot of reasons, but I guess they're probably one of the, the basic reasons is that it just comes naturally. It's just something that's happening because of the processes and procedures that we've set up. And, and we're good at what we do. So, it's working well, it's working beautifully, and we anticipate to continue to, to march towards a, a major regional firm.
1: That's fantastic. And that's some really superb growth over the years. And my next question was going to be, you know, to what do you owe your success and what have been the biggest drivers <sighs> of your growth? Would you say that is those processes and procedures or are there other things that tie into that? Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: It has to be, if I have to answer that, it has to be the revelation as I said earlier, that, you know, we are a business perfecting the art of practicing law rather than a law firm that happens to do business in whatever way uh, lawyers do business. So once I realized that, and once we set up the structure of the firm to act, be, think, do like a, a business, then things really started changing. And one of the most difficult things I've experienced while doing that is teaching and prompting other lawyers to think like that. Uh, it's, it's like pulling teeth in many ways. Not everybody, but a lot of lawyers. Because let's face it, we're not taught to be business people. We're taught to get everything you have in the courtroom, in litigation, to service your client. And if they happen to write a check out to you, then great. But that's really not reality. And that's not the way it should be. So yes, once I realized that this has to to run like a business, all of a sudden, all the departments I set up, all of a sudden, all the processes that we created and the team that I put together just started taking off. It just started to just work. And and it's, it's fantastic. And I see it continuing to do so in the other, other regions as well.
1: Yeah, so the growth of your business is really just a byproduct of Focusing on the business, focusing on serving the client well. And I love that. You know, it's, I get some pushback and I imagine maybe you've had some pushback on the idea of running it like a business and running it for profit, running it for, you know, but I think there's efficiencies there and there's streamlining there that's important. What can you add to
2: that? Well, you know, it goes back to rethinking and it's very interesting, by the way, it, it goes back to rethinking. The business of law throughout the, the last hundred decades, I mean, ten decades, or what have you, in this country, and how law firms function and what the thought process is with with the old partnership type scenario. There's a lot of good things built into that. A lot of things that don't work well, and it's really about trying to maximize what we do best for clients. Yes, I've gotten into Discussions, I say, with, you know, other lawyers, judges, friends of mine, people who are involved in the legal community that really don't like the concept of calling it a business because in their mind, it somehow or another downgrades the the importance or the sacredness of practice in law. And what I've explained is absolutely not, because what it, if it does anything, it upgrades the service and what we're really trying to do for people. You know, I've never said, let's replace the practice law with a business. I've always said, hey, we're the business trying to perfect the art of practicing law. And once I was able to create some of these systems, and I think you and I were talking before about sales, which I attribute to a huge part of our success. And it's not so much the structure. It's really the thought process of that whole procedure, what a sale is. You know, I I doubt if you polled 100 law firms across the country, if any of them or many of them would say, well, a new retained client is a sale. They they would. I don't think they would ever even use that word. No. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's what do you mean sale? It's not a sale. It is a sale and yeah. but that doesn't take away from what we do as you know learned lawyers and professionals in representing that client. Mm-hmm. So once I was able to create that and think about that then it took off and sales was a huge part of that.
1: Yeah, so let's get into that a little bit. I wanted to ask you about, you know, your best practices for marketing and client acquisition. You have kind of a unique sales process, and intake process that you use. Could you tell us a little bit about how that works?
2: Back in the, I guess it was the 80s and early 90s when I first started practicing. I saw in Maryland, but also across the country, some really rebel lawyers break through the market as far as how to reach people and create a larger business for themselves. And it, and it focused primarily around personal injury cases, almost exclusively. And that the medium was TV and radio and billboards, things like that. So I saw that and my thought process, my thought process went to, well, why can't we use that in other areas of the law family law, which is a truly unique area of the law, a, uh, Good judge, friend of mine, who's written a couple books and is very, very well known, really throughout the country as far as his prowess is regarding family law. Him and I used to discuss it all the time, and he'd say, you know, family law is really, really exclusively an art and and a, and a niche in practicing law. And my thought process was, why can't we do the same with these other areas? And the first thing I started with by looking at some of these these older Techniques that some of these novel lawyers use in sales was the process and the procedure of making contact in whatever way you do it. Either they know you, and of course, you talk about branding, and that's I have a whole thought process on that. But making contact with the client somehow, them coming into your firm meaning they now become a client, it's a sale, a pipeline, intake, sales techniques and them going from there. And so we broke it down into bits and pieces about how that works. So the bottom line is we have a very, very extensive intake team that works almost 24 hours around the clock. And we have people that sell for the firm. We have some, I have something I call it the Fab Five. And I think I told you, I'm, I'm a big basketball player, the Fab Five be years and years ago. But we call the fat Five. It's no longer Fab Five. It's about 25 lawyers that they practice law, but they also sell the clients. Now, there I go again using the word selling to the clients when the reality is that most lawyers think, well, that's just a consultation. Well, it is a consultation, but it's different because our consultations contain you know, different pain points and thought processes about trying to resolve the situation for them and and bring the client into the firm. So it's not just a consultation. I call consultation something that's almost, you know, it's wishful thinking. Well, I'm going to let you consult with me. I'm going to give you advice and whatever happens, happens. No, we say to ourselves and and the thought process is, well, we're going to discuss this with you. This is a sale. That's just, that's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that because the client is clear to the client. The client knows what they're getting as far as the amount of money they're paying, what you're going to the services you're going to provide. It's just very much more concrete. So the intake team was a big part of that, and teaching them how to do that. The Fab Five teaching our lawyers how to sell, consult, and then we have full time lawyers as well that do nothing but sell and consult. So pulling that all together, along with the the media outreach, which is a totally different discussion, all started bringing it together. And we, I don't want to say we have it down to a science because there's always things are always changing. But we we do a good job in adapting and 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 doing things to the max. So we're doing very well with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's really something I haven't heard a lot, but I think that's really good thinking you know everything is a sale we're always anytime you're in a business that's dealing with other people you're always selling yourself yeah. you know you are always um wanting to put yourself out there in the best light possible and you're right there's nothing wrong with that you know we need to understand that there's a difference between good salesmanship and bad salesmanship and good salesmanship there's a great place for that and it's very helpful you know a lot of times people hear the word sales and maybe they're thinking of some of those you know, high pressure tactics and things that, that get a bad, you know, give sales a bad name, but there are really good elements to having an effective sales process. And I'm curious if you agree with that and, and what you think about that. I totally
2: agree with that. And the old consultation thought process is murky. What is the lawyer really doing for the client? They're giving them education. They're giving them knowledge. But are they really talking about the entire relationship? Because when you're talking to a prospective new client, you're talking about a whole new relationship that doesn't just involve advising about the law. It's a monetary relationship. And it's a it could be a relationship for two years. It could be a relationship for six months. But I've always thought that when you label it a sale, it's more concrete about what each person is gaining in exchange for the money or the time or what have you. So it's it's it accomplishes what the bar wants as far as clarity in what the lawyer is going to do for money and what they're not going to do for money and how they're going to do it. But you're also advising about the case itself. So And that that ties into, Darren, still the thought process about what happens during the sale transaction. So many lawyers who consult, simply consult like robots. You know, it's, okay, with a criminal case, this is your exposure. The statute says you can go to jail for 10 years. You could do this, you could do that, we could do this. And, some are better than others but when you break it down into a sale you have to get into more concrete resolution and a thought process about you know, how long is it going to take what are we going to do specifically with you it's going to cost you this much money it's much much more concrete in you know what you're buying you know the difference in whether or not you're going to buy a chevrolet or you're going to buy a porsche Whereas if you just went into some place to buy a car, it's just a consultation, as opposed to a sale, you may not know all the details. So it's much more concrete than that, and I, I think it, it just it works out it works out much better in, in the long run.
1: Very cool. Yeah, I love that. And more detailed, more uh, giving the client more knowledge about the process and and uh, specifics and what they can expect <laughs> yeah. uh, throughout that process. Now I want to change gears just slightly here and ask you about running an enterprise such as you have now, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about finance and finance plays a critical role in the success of any business. I'm curious, how have you approached personal and business finance? Are there some big lessons that you've learned along the way or secrets to success you have that you can share with other law firm owners as it relates to either the personal or business finances of being a, a law firm owner?
2: Sure. Well, I, I would say that to any lawyer that is looking to grow a little bit and you know um, hire other lawyers to work for them, what have you, cash flow is really, really important about how you manage that. And that's a long, long discussion, but without proper cash management and, and cash flow, you're never going to be successful. You have to be able to anticipate. You have to be able to understand what to expect this week, next week, the week after, and how to apply the funds in the proper areas to get to where you need to be. So I think cash flow is a huge part. Listen, I mean, anybody running a business, you have to have fundamental thought processes across the board about how to run that business. I mean, if what I've been talking about so far, such as like sales and things like that and the actual practice of law, if I'm a great athlete and I'm going to go play in the NBA, well, I may have certain skills on the court. It doesn't necessarily translate into running the team or owning that franchise. So it's a completely different skill level and thought process about running the franchise, owning the, the business, than it is simply playing on the court and practicing law. So from a financial standpoint, I mean, you have to start – with cash flow, but I would say this: <clears throat> in my opinion, and what's really helped us, has helped me, is how I approach money and what my relationship to money really is all about. So it's one thing for me to approach it from the standpoint of running the business, and it depends upon what type of business you have, in other words, what type of law firm you're building. If you have, if you're a bigger firm, you have four hundred people working across the country, that's one thing. If you are a small law firm working in you know, a metropolitan area with five lawyers, that's something totally different. But your relationship with money as far as the business end of things is different than your relationship as far as your own personal finances. And you have to dissect that and separate it. Yes, uh, yes, amen, you yes. It can't be the same. You have to, yeah. And that's really you know interesting enough as a little bit of a side talk i you know i had a young person come i do a lot of talking and you know speeches and things to high schools and colleges and a young man was asking me should i go get an mba or should i go to law school what should i do and i said well you know and at the end of the day i said go get a jd because even if you don't want to practice law you can use it in business or what have you but i said there's one caveat he said what's that i said when you're done with the JD, you will have absolutely no knowledge about finances and money. You, you're going to be, it's going to be as if you're going, you're in store high school. So you have to do that on your own and understand and, and start to understand what money is all about. I find from talking to the lawyers at the firm here and not just lawyers, but the admin staff and the, the LA's and the clerks. Everybody feels differently about money and how you feel about money at the end of the day is going to directly correlate about how successful you are as far as doing what you want to do with money. Because I'm not going to just say saving money or investing money or making money because not everybody wants to do that. It's whatever you want to do with the money that you make and how you're going to compound and grow it or what have you. So your real relationship, and I find that most people – have a terrible relationship with money, especially lawyers. I don't know what it is. It's, it so that's another discussion. Yeah. But <laughs> it, most lawyers have a terrible relationship with money. They don't feel like they really deserve it. Maybe mm. maybe they do. Maybe it's a psychological thing. Maybe their parents didn't have a lot of money. Maybe their parents had a lot of money. Whatever the issue is, coming to conclusion and resolution about what money is there for and it? what well, it's not, it's going to help you in the long run. Yeah, it's those a, are, it's a tool.
1: Yes. That is a really, really good advice, clarifying your relationship with money. And we could get into a whole thing on that, but you're right. We have these things from our past, from our upbringing that sometimes we bring into adult life about whether or not we deserve to get paid right. for what we sure do. Enough. And and that flows into the, you know, your feelings about running a successful business and whether that is, you know, how you feel about that and whether that's necessarily a quote right to do, but I think it's right. I think it is for all the reasons we discussed already, better for the clients, better for your employees, you know, that that's all better for everybody to run
2: an efficient, successful business. My, uh, I'm, <clears throat> I've got a couple of books out already, but I'm, I'm actually writing another book. It's due to be published uh, early next winter and the very first chapter, one of the things I talk about is exactly what you're saying. I think I say something to the effect that I was told, and I was told by a person I mentioned before who was became very successful as a lawyer Peter Angeles. He said almost everyone will rise to their own mediocrity of money success. And that's very true. We will only rise to the level that we believe we should be or what have you. Most people have goggles or lenses on about that. And it's very interesting because, and I've been through it. You know, I, my family, you know, my father was a lawyer. I didn't, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, we were lower middle class, but, you know, we aspired to do things and and to be successful, help other people and, and achieve financially. But so many times I see lawyers, especially, having a conclusion or a thought process right in front of you to be more successful, and you can't do it. They, there's all kinds of emotional things come into play where they blocks that path to success. And often that path to success is money or ends in money. Mm-hmm. And we all self-sabotage in many ways. We don't mean to. We yeah. don't want to. In our minds, we think, you know what? I deserve this. I should have this. this is what... But for some reason, we're not letting ourselves get to where we need to be to ring that bell. And it's very interesting to me. And over the years, I've talked to people and I've really tried myself to figure out am I rising to my own level of mediocrity or am I trying to go above that? So it's a very interesting discussion.
1: Yeah. You know, my dad often has said the fear of success is often greater than the fear of failure. And I think you're uh, right. That's a great. Uh, that's, that reminds me of that so much. Well, Jim, unfortunately, we are at the end of our time here, and I so still have so many questions, but it's been really great having you on the show. I want to ask you one last question that we ask all sure. our guests. What does the future hold for you and for your firm, and what's your dream retirement look like? Well, my
2: dream retirement is none. <laughs> I, I I don't want to retire. I mean that. I, there's no reason to unless I'm cognitively or have some reason why I can't. That's I, my dream is to be able to do what I'm doing at some level till I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Retirement, to me, doesn't interest me at all. Where we're going, Darren, listen, I mean, I, I know that we're going to be a regional firm very shortly. If we're going to be going past that, we'll see. And, uh, and I hope. I have family members, you know, two sons and daughters who are, working, are going to be working in the firm. I have a lot of people that have been with me here for decades that really, really I deserve to be successful, and they are. So where we're going, you know what? One day at a time and one case at a time. You know, it was interesting doing this with you, and I appreciate the time, and I really enjoyed it. But you know what I'm looking forward to today? I'm not practicing as much as I I was before, but I have a new case, a sex offense case coming in in about 45 minutes. I'm totally looking forward to sitting down with that person and trying to help them. So -hmm. that's what stokes me. In many ways, along with the business side of things, so we'll see. Maybe we'll pick it up again next year. We'll see. Absolutely, you know, retirement looks different for everybody, right? And there's no
1: wrong answer. If you want to keep working and stay involved, if that's what you love to do. Do it.
2: <laughs> right now, that, does, that, does, that doesn't mean I don't need your advice as far as investing <laughs> money and do what we need to do because I still want to do things I want to do while I'm still doing that. So there you go. Like you said, retirement is many different, uh, many different things. It sure does.
1: Now, Jim, if you would, share with our audience how they can learn more about you and some of the many books
2: that you've written. Well, you know what? Okay, I've done this in a while. I've tried to promote this, but uh, james at jamescrawfordlaw.com is the the website. We have a lot of cool stuff on there. Uh, we talk about uh, some of the programs we have in the in the law office, like the Moot Court program and things like that. I think the, the last book I, I wrote, I'll mention, it's been out for about a year. You get it at all the bookstores. It's called An American Lawyer. And I think some, I think people would enjoy it. It's very parochial from the standpoint. It's about me in Baltimore, a lot of my life growing up, and some of the lawyers that really, really influenced me and affected me. But also Baltimore politics, and ultimately, I get into something because I, I I've done, I've done a lot of sex offense type work over the years, a lot of CP work on, you know, child pornography work on a federal and state level, and over the years, I've developed some theories. I used to argue to. There you know, federal judges and state judges about the impact of pornography in our society. And I'm not an anti-pornography guy, but I do recognize seeing the addictive qualities and many of the things that have caused a lot of problems. So in my latest book, I came up with this thought process, a theory called the trilogy modem, which is a combination of three things that basically have really affected the younger generations um, in this country. And so I play a big part in that. I speak a lot about that. And I really believe heartily that there's a lot, of, a lot of pain and agony, especially during the COVID years when people have regressed back into their homes, and computers, and things like that. So it plays a big part in a lot of young people's decision-making about being successful or not. But that's a whole other discussion. So an American lawyer, I think, it's, I think people would enjoy it. Great,
1: great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Jim. And thank you, the listener, for joining us today on The Lawyer Millionaire. If you want to learn more, check out our website, thelawyermillionaire.com. There you can find free resources and webinars, grab a copy of my book, or even schedule a time to chat with me about your own financial goals and creating a plan to make them happen. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode packed with useful financial advice and expertise for law firm owners just like you. We also invite you to leave a review and share The Lawyer Millionaire with your friends and colleagues. Who might benefit from our discussions. Together, let's empower more law firm owners to achieve even greater levels of financial success and freedom. Now take what you learned today and go make your dreams a reality. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, and I'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to The Lawyer Millionaire. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to represent investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified investment or tax advisor with any questions you may have regarding your own financial circumstances.